Welcome to the Politics of Everything. I'm Amber Danes, your host and podcast producer. This is a half hour of power, a podcast dropping every week where I unpack the politics of everything, from money to motherhood, nutrition to narcissism, startups to secularism, the environment, quality, and much, much more. Our guests are seasoned in the field or topic of their choice, even if you've not heard of them yet. This is a non-partisan show. So while I love exploring varied views and get a buzz from a healthy debate of ideas, this is not a purely blue, white, green program. Please subscribe, tune in and enjoy the politics of everything. Persuading others to think, feel or do something is part of human nature. And my guest today has written a book that's actually entitled How to Persuade, The Skills You Need to Get What You Want. In this book, Michelle Bowden provides readers with research-proven techniques to master that art of persuasion. Through engaging real-life examples, she shows us how to transform our weaknesses into strengths and to move people from no to yes every time. Now, Michelle is a certified speaking professional and a communications skills coach. And over the past 23 years, she's delivered her persuasive presentation skills masterclass more than 950 times for over 12,000 people. And her client list is a who's who of international business from sectors in banking and finance to information technology, telecommunications, retail, and beyond. Her coaching has helped those businesses win multi-million dollar bids and projects. She's also the best-selling author of another book called How to Present the Ultimate Guide to Presenting Your Ideas and Influencing People Using Techniques That Actually Work. So I'm so curious to find out how to persuade more people to say yes when I want them to, including my kids. So welcome to the politics of everything, Michelle. Uh, Thank you, Amber. What a delight to chat with you today. Podcasting remotely can be challenging, but it doesn't have to be. Since 2017, I have relied on Zencaster's all-in-one web-based solution to make the process quick and painless, the way podcasting should be. If you know me, I'm pretty obsessed with quality guests, quality content, and quality sound, and that's what Zencaster allows me to do. Not to mention, it's really easy to use, even for my guests that aren't particularly tech-savvy. There's nothing to download. They just click on the link and we start recording. Zencaster is all about making your podcasting experience easy and with everything from local recording to automatic post-production all in the one tool, you don't have to leave your browser to get each episode done. I want you to have the same great experience that I do for all my podcasts and content needs. So I have a special offer for you. If you go to zen.ai forward slash politics of everything and enter this promo code, you'll get 30% off in your first three months when you sign up to Zencaster Pro. That's Z-E-N dot A-I, politics of everything. It's now time to share your story. Okay, I'm going to start where I always start with my guests. What did you want to be when you grew up? And can you tell us a little bit about your early career before you kind of got to what you do now? I wanted to be Anna Pavlova, the famous ballerina. Oh, interesting. (laughs) I'm assuming you did ballet lessons. I did do ballet lessons. I was in the Canberra Youth Ballet Company. I had great potential. And then I nearly tore my Achilles, I had to quit on the spot. It was devastating. It was the night before the final performance, all very dramatic, Canva, seriously. In oh, hindsight, we can laugh about it. Yes, but at the time it would have been fairly devastating, I oh, imagine. Look, I was probably 16 or something. I was very young and it was just devastating. I was all set for a career on the stage. So wacky do. Fast forward about... 30, 40 years, and what do you know? I ended up back on the stage as a professional speaker. So I think I was always destined to be on the stage, that's for sure. 
So we hear terms like coercion, which is obviously largely negative, and influence, which seems to be more an on-trend kind of term, you know, with the rise of influences and so forth. But persuasion is not quite either of those things. And I guess to start this conversation, I'd love to know how you define persuasion and the art of persuasion. It's such an important distinction that we need to make here about this word persuasion and this other word manipulation. That's that's what I think most of us think because the idea of always saying yes just doesn't sound possible. That's it. Well, you know, about eight or nine years ago, I was asked by a financial services organisation to speak. And the thing I've always spoken about on the stage is persuasion. And they said to me, well, you can't call it that because we can't be seen to endorse the idea of persuading clients to buy something that maybe they don't want. And I was trying to explain to them at the time. Isn't that what the whole world does? (laughs) You can book me and we can call it persuasion. It's actually all okay. So here's a little bit of science for you. The, The action, the main action here we're talking about is influence, as you say, and definitely with the rise of the six pack, the spray tan and the TikTok account. Influencers <laughs> have become very, very popular and well known. Influence is the behavior and there are really five main ways that as human beings we can influence the people around us. Now if you imagine a, a sliding scale, at one end of the sliding scale is the aggressive approaches to influence. That's forcing and directing. We've all had that boss that said it's my way or the highway and at the time you said, yep, sure, I'll do exactly what you say, smiled beautifully and then went back to your desk and jumped straight onto seek.com because that person (laughs) is not good to work for. And then at the other end of the continuum is the passive approaches to persuasion, things like modelling and guiding because, you know, we cannot not influence even when we don't realise we're always influencing Uh, One of the streets that I used to live in some years back in a suburb in Sydney called Lane Cove, which is quite a well, well, an affluent suburb, someone in the street bought a an electric car, you know, um, a fancy, expensive electric car. And before you know it, within about six weeks, everyone else in the street, except for me, because I couldn't afford it, had one (laughs) of these big, fancy, you know, electric cars. So even without meaning to, we're influencing. modeling and guiding and then in the middle is the assertive approach to influence and that is persuasion so coercion falls into the aggressive approach and you can't be simultaneously persuasive and coercive or persuasive and manipulative because To be manipulative, you've got to slide down to one or the other ends of that continuum, if you're imagining that in your mind. You've either got to become aggressive or you've got to become passive. If you're being persuasive, then that's the assertive approach and that's not got anything to do with manipulation. Yeah, I think you've defined that really clearly. And I guess, you know, every day we're faced with moments where we're going to win or lose. It could be like a really big thing like an investor pitch or it could be me trying to get my kids to uh, hurry up to get to the school bus in the morning. So it's it can be different degrees of importance if you like. And obviously I find online there's so much argument if you like, in, in conversations and, and email blasts. And, and it just feels like persuasion is kind of that nice, modest thing we've, we've kind of lost the art of. So 
With that in mind, and if you're being truly persuasive, how really, what's the key, what's the secret source to winning more of the time? Ah, yes, well, uh, we the, the secret source is common sense that's not so common. Is <laughs> the common sense that's not so common is that we're, as humans, we're all persuaded differently. Mm. And hilariously, we actually try mostly to use the approach that would work on us when we're persuading someone else instead of thinking about what is it that that person needs us to do and then adapting and flexing our style so that we give that person what they need. You know, you're not trying to persuade yourself. You're already persuaded about the matter. You already know the kids have got to catch the bus on time. So it's about saying it in the way that that stakeholder, whether it's your child or your boss or your potential new client, the way they need to hear it. So there are four main approaches, if you like, to persuading the people around us. And most of us are strong in two of those approaches and weaker in two. And why would you care, Amber? Because (laughs) if the communication scenario requires what is currently your strength, then you're just going to talk the person is going to listen. And nothing's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, things will happen. You're going to get some sort of an yep. agreement there. You probably leave that interaction feeling terrific and not even noticing that you were just in a persuasive moment. It just happens yes. so easily, so smoothly, so seamlessly. When, on the other hand, the communication scenario requires what is currently your weakness You simply do not have the tools in your metaphorical persuasive toolkit to say it the way that the person needs to hear it and experience it. So that's when we've all had this, haven't we, where we've had this terrific idea and even other people tell you it's a terrific idea and you're you're backing yourself, but this one person that you've got to actually persuade about it cannot hear the benefits of the idea and will not approve it or agree with it. It feels like you're banging your head against a wall when you're like this. And it's just simply because doesn't matter how hard you try, you don't have those tools to say it or do it the way they need to hear it and experience it. So yes, we do need to be, the secret source is we need to be persuasive in all four approaches. It's not good enough to just be strong into and then weak in too, because you can't be consistently persuasive unless you're strong across the across the board. Let's talk about doing the work now. So how can yeah. we tweak our communication style to be more persuasive in everyday life? So it becomes, if not effortless, a lot easier for us. Because for some people, this mm. just sounds hard. Doesn't it ever? You know, there are 40 actions. <laughs> It just sounds like it's all too much hard work. How many steps? (laughs) There are 40 actions that we need to turn into habits because, you know, you're influencing even when you don't realise you're influencing. So I'm very excited about the idea that you bring these behaviours in, as these actions in as habits, and then you don't have to think to be persuasive. You just naturally do the right thing. And the good news is, you mentioned the work. Well, the good news is that, yes, there's probably a bit of work. Um, The book that I wrote is 78,000 pages, so 78,000 words. (laughs) So there is work in there, that's for sure. But the good news is that there's lots of little things you can do, you know, better eye contact. Yes. Such a simple thing. Just look at people more, laugh more, smile more, 
care about people, remember their names. Yeah. Remember details about them. When you write a list, put numbers next to the list instead of dot points. People who need a logical structure to the argument need need numbers next to the points so that they can understand what's happening there with the message. You know, there's so many simple little things that you can just do right now. Don't say the word but, don't say the word however. That repels your stakeholder. Do say the words actually and because they are power persuader words. So many small things, Amber, that we can just all do right now to be more persuasive instantly. And then, yes, there is some work to do. Like the way that that one of the types is persuaded is by having message credibility. That means your message needs to be logical and structured and, and rational and draw on external proof, use external evidence And there is a rigorous way of structuring a message so that those people just see great value in your argument. The the message is so undeniable that they can't say no. Yeah, absolutely. That's probably where they're a bit more of the hard work. Yeah, and of course it's got anything worth, you know, doing is going to take work. I mean, I do love these types that you've got in the book and they're all birds, everybody. I I don't know what the bird... (laughs) what the bird symbolism is, but we've got the wise owl, the commanding eagle, the friendly budgie and the captivating peacock. Like a lot of learning mechanisms that I've engaged in what I do and what you do as a a presentation skills master is that idea of a quadrant. So Mm. these particular qualities I imagine um, ideally we can be very adaptable but we must obviously have a fallback or a a tendency to when we're panicked or in under pressure cooker situations we all tend to revert back to what feels comfortable and safe even if it gives us not the results that we want so I think is that sort of the key to the challenge is to be more flexible and adaptable now I think step one to becoming very persuasive is know yourself so which of those four birds are you Step two is being able to pick it in the other person or in your audience if there's many people that you're presenting to or persuading in this moment. And that's why we called the approaches after a bird. I was very worried. You know, this is 20 years of rigorous research. We've we've teamed up with a team of statisticians and psychologists in the UK to create our psychometric assessment that reports on this. That is, you know, this is a proper piece of decent Uh, verifiable research here and I was very nervous calling it after birds because I just thought everyone's going to think this is pop psychology (laughs) and won't believe that it's something worth listening to but then in hindsight since we've we've released this uh, people people are busy you know Amber aren't we so busy and we're we've got so much information going into our heads and I did think that because the characteristics of those four birds the owl the eagle the budgie and the peacock do in fact ideally map or match the the characteristics of those four types. And it does make it more fun and easier to pick it up in your partner, in your kid, in your boss, in your stakeholder, because we all can relate to the birds. Yes, I agree. No, it it makes sense to me, but I understand maybe some people might be a bit confused about why you went down that path, but I think you've explained that well. Um, So what made you write the book now? Why now? I mean, obviously you've written other books. Uh I mean, why is persuasion kind of your thing at the moment? Uh, Persuasion has been my thing for 23 years. And why now? Because COVID happened and I had less business because less clients wanted to do training 
online. Most of my clients wanted me to be live with them and their, their, their teams were all working from home. So with that lovely gap in my schedule, I was able to sit down and put what I have been teaching for decades into a book. The How to Present book uh, is a bestseller and I specialise in the niche within the niche. So I teach persuasive presenting in business. So this this new book, How to Persuade, is really just the other things that aren't in the book called How to Present. It's all the other stuff that I teach people that wasn't ideally matching with the, the unique science of presenting. It's more just how to get your way. For those of us who love a strategy rather than just going straight to the action, is there a strategic kind of perspective on the art of persuasion and could you summarise that for us in a few sentences? Yes, I think there is. Well, it's just to understand the wise owl has an innate drive to persuade by establishing message credibility. So you have to do whatever you can to build in the actions of a wise owl into your habits so that when you're communicating with someone whose preference is that message credibility, you don't have to think too hard and go clunk, clunk, clunk when you're talking. You just can articulate your message in a logical and rational way. The commanding eagle has an innate drive to persuade by establishing personal credibility So they won't believe you unless they know you are the expert, you are the believable one, you are the experienced one, you have the runs on the board and you know best here. If you don't portray your credibility, then someone who's a commanding eagle can't be persuaded by your matter. Then the third type is the friendly budgie. The budgie has an innate drive to persuade by establishing goodwill They really need to feel connected to you, to like you, to perceive that you care about them and you're connected to them and you have their best interests at heart. So again, if you don't have the ability to build in those actions that a budgie does naturally, you know, laugh more, smile more, be friendly, care, remember people's names, um, then you you will find it very difficult to persuade someone who has budgie as their predominant bird preference and then the captivating peacock of course has the innate drive to persuade by establishing enthusiasm and passion so they are very expressive and you've seen a peacock in its courting phase you know flaps open its fabulous (laughs) wings in a fantastic fashion and it shimmies and struts and if it if it does the right the right effort (laughs) then the peahen will choose it so the most captivating and and beautiful and energetic peacock gets the prize. The most captivating peacock gets to reproduce. So peacocks are like that in the workplace and at home as well. Um, they, they're just very expressive and fabulous. And so if you're not passionate about your idea and you don't sweep people up, then they, if their peacock is their preference, then they just won't be persuaded by you. And as I said, we have a combination of these things. You're not ideally going to be just one bird you'll be a combination of the birds and so it's knowing which of the actions from which of the birds are going to make you the most persuasive and because that just all sounds like too much hard work in my opinion just learn what the 40 actions are and take a growth mindset and week by week 
start doing more and more of these little actions that just make you more persuasive. And then it won't matter whether they are a budgie or an owl or whatever, you'll just have the right approach when you communicate with them. So I think the strategy is step one, know yourself. Step two, be able to pick it in others. Step three, build your persuasive muscles so that you are as strong in all four of the bird types as possible and then adapt or flex so that you give the person what they need. That's the strategy. I think it's a great summary. And, look, I love the idea of chipping away at it, that you're not going to get good at this in two seconds, right? This is going to be a process. That dreadful saying because I wouldn't want to do this, but how do you eat an elephant? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Just one bite at a time. So I think some things are like the stance, the eagle and the peacock are very good at a solid, strong stance when they're standing up and persuading someone. Their legs are strong under their hips, their core is braced, and they gesture appropriately to reinforce the message. So that's not going to come naturally to you until you think about it. And if you just said, for the next two weeks, I'm going to try really hard to brace my core and hold my legs under my hips instead of them crossing over or being too wide apart, I'm just going to stand with my feet under my hips, brace my core, and see if I can embed this natural strong stance into my behaviours. And two weeks later, you'll just be standing like without even thinking about it and you'll never have to think about it again. Your legs will just go there when it's the right moment. So changing attack a little bit, I always ask my guests Mm. that, you know, they've obviously got to their successful pinnacle of where they are today because they've had Mm. some support from either formal or informal mentors. Are there one or two for you that stand out and what have they really taught you about business and life? When I was eight years old, a mean girl bullied me at school and I said to myself I have to change my personality because otherwise girls like this are going to constantly bully me and make me feel small so at the age of eight unbelievably I changed my personality into more of an outgoing friendly less shy kind of kid and from that moment on I just have been very observant So I don't have one particular mentor that stands out. I've had hundreds and hundreds of mentors over my life. And I think the key to a mentor, and I'm sure you'll agree with this, is if having the ability to work out where are you lacking? (laughs) Where's, Where's something not working for you? And then who's doing that better than you are right now? And making sure you learn as much as you can from them. So I think sometimes even just listening to the radio, you learn stuff. I, I listen to a, a plethora of podcasts. I, I read just bazillions of books and I've made it my, my interest really to just have this growth mindset and constantly strive just to make life better by achieving whatever it is. Yeah, you know? I, that's great. I think that's what we all should do. You know, no matter where you start, yeah. you've just got to keep learning and I think that's the key sometimes. I think that's it. So at the time, you know, maybe I wasn't very good at, I don't know, um, what's an example? Maybe my voice wasn't as resonant as I wanted it to be. So I found Sian Williams, who at the time was a wonderful voice coach. She taught me so many good things. I was able then to learn from her and change my voice to make it as deep and resonant as I wanted it to be. And I probably haven't seen her for 10 years. But at the time, gosh, you know, she stands out as someone that helped me with just that one thing that needed fixing at that time. 
A final message for us today, perhaps, there's two things I actually want to ask you. One is like, what's your number one goal? And then a final message for us as we wrap up our conversation on the politics of persuasion. My number one goal is that this book does well because I really believe that anyone can be persuasive. It's just a matter of knowing what do you need to do and then doing it. It's not actually complicated. Nothing to do with persuasion is rocket science. And it's really just a matter of learning those skills and then picking one thing at a time to get better and better at. So that's my hope for the next year or so, that this book can help people just to feel more self-actualized and and to, to achieve more of what they want in their life. I just think life's too short to hear the word no. Absolutely. And I think that's kind of what I've taken away from our conversation today. It is all possible and you've really made this easy because you've got a book that walks us through that. So if people do really want to find out more, of course, there'll be some details on the show notes of how to contact Michelle through LinkedIn, but obviously details of her book as well. It's been an absolute pleasure today, Michelle. I wish you well. What a lovely chat we've had, Amber. Have a great day. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed the politics of everything, I thrive on your feedback. So please add a short review and share the podcast with your network through Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. I'm always on the hunt for new and diverse guests. So if you or someone you know has a fresh idea you're busting to get out there, please email me at amber at amberdanes.com and my crew will get back to you very soon.